with a closer look at the news and events affecting Prince George. Welcome to After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. Good morning. Trudy Clausen here, guest hosting today for Andreas Krebs. Um, welcome to the political panel. We're going to do a whole hour. I'm not, I don't think Reg has, Rez has done that before. So, uh, here we are. We've got Herb Martin in the studio, Art Betke, and Eric Allen. Welcome, gentlemen. Morning. Hi. Good morning. <laughs> All right. Uh, I won't make you do the cheer again. Uh, <laughs> But I, uh, I'm looking forward to the topics. Uh, we're using uh, the topics that uh, Rez sent last night, and he was uh, unexpectedly uh, busy with with work. And um, and and just maybe, how many of you? How many of you know that we all show up as volunteers here? Like this is, uh, you know, this is volunteer time, right? I mean, or is are people getting paid, and I'm not, and I'm not aware. <laughs> no, no. The check is in the mail. The check is in the mail. All right, all right, okay. Um, Okay, so one the first topic that uh, that we've got to take a look at is a National Post article about. Well, it's not about the article; it's we're talking about the topic. Uh, the National Post article uh, published June sixteenth, which was yesterday. The title headline is "Canada Loses Ten Top Ten Spot on Global Peace Index Due to Anti-Government Sentiment." And um, it the article goes on to say that the de- deterioration. Um, the global deterioration of our ranking was attributed to significant increases in political terror and violent demonstration indicators with uh, the former doubling in a year. So I'm, so an interesting thing is that we lost our global top 10 spot, but not in our region. And why would other countries have um, gone up ahead of us? So anyway, uh, how about let's start with Eric. What are, what are your thoughts? Well, until I seen that article, I didn't know there was such a thing. <laughs> okay. Uh, Global Peace Index. So it looks like there's 127 countries involved or something. But I read the article and it didn't make any sense to me. It was at least the one I had, which was World News Platform. So I kind of skipped over that. Um. I think the uh, favor of the day is to be, is to uh, blame that uh, those convoys for everything, mm-hmm. and uh, it's getting a little tiresome, really. I mean, mm-hmm. what, what we have here basically is uh, government inaction, inability to, you know, uh, look after the laws that are in place. I mean, if they can't stop that, you know. <laughs> If they couldn't stop that convoy and look after it in an orderly manner, something's seriously wrong with the country. And and that's what we should be looking at. Not blaming the truck drivers or somebody, but looking at how come... You know, I used the analogy before that 10-year or 16-year-old girl went and got an um, uh, injunction from the city of Ottawa there to stop the, the horn honking after 10 o'clock because it was over the uh, number of decibels that were allowed. Mm-hmm. And she stopped it, one person. Yeah. So, and uh, we got all these police and everybody running around like chickens and they can't stop anything. So I don't buy into it. I, I think that it's a lot of misleading information there. All right, Art, what are your thoughts on that? Well, like Eric, I never heard of it until I read the article. Uh, but my first impression was, this is totally ridiculous. Uh, significant 
increases in political terror and violent demonstration indicators. What indicators? Uh, what terror? What violent demonstrations? We didn't have any. Well, I don't recall any terrorist attacks. What about out by Morristown on that? Yeah, that was one, but that they, they didn't refer to that, did they? Not in the article. No. And they didn't refer to anything. And that that was it. Just that one Morris. I haven't heard of any others. So what are they talking about? Uh, because people disagreed with the government's uh, dictatorial, irrational mandates that were totally unnecessary. Uh, of course you get anti-government sentiment. Well, you can get a lot of anti-government sentiment any time an election is coming. I mean, I recall when uh, Brian Mulroney was uh, Prime Minister, he was the least popular person in all of Canada. There was a lot of anti-government sentiment at that time, so what did that make us more violent? No, this is nonsense. All right, Herb, what do you say? Uh, I think there's a little bit of cherry-picking going on in this uh, survey. It's sort of like those... Uh, surveys of the best country to live in, you know, Canada goes up and down 10, 10 points in a year uh, quite routinely. So it's, I think they just do it for headlines. And I know nothing's fundamentally changed. Uh, New Zealand is at uh, spot number two, and they had a three-week um, uh, yeah. anti-vac protest just like we did. It was, in fact, it was inspired by the Canadian protest. So the same, you know, anti-vax uh, people uh, are, are, are upset there as they were here. In fact, uh, the New Zealand one lasted three weeks, and there were 65 people arrested at the end. Now, New Zealand is one-seventh the time, uh, one-seventh of the, um, the population of Canada. So, uh, uh, you know, I don't think there were 420 people arrested on Parliament Hill. Uh, no one, uh, as far as I know, was really hurt. So, uh, and whereas in, in uh, I think, uh, three or four people were sent to the hospital in, in New Zealand. So, yeah, I don't know. These things are, uh, they, they cut, they, they, they're painted with a pretty wide brush. And um, uh, so Canada went down four countries, uh, big deal. I mean, there's 127 countries. And, uh, you know, these things just sort of uh, somewhat arbitrary. Yeah, and it's... It- to me, I find it interesting that, you know, to, I, I think you're right. It's it's simply just cherry picking and, and, you know, headline writing, basically. And and maybe this organization wants us to remember that they are actually still around and, <laughs> you know, still worthy of of uh, of uh, of uh, public attention. Uh, OK, well, well, we sort of uh, killed that one dead. So um, <laughs> let's let's go to. Um, OK, now. Yeah. Okay. The, the I'm going to try to find the article because it's about the investigation into the use of the Emergency Act. And oh golly, now I can't find it. I'm going to have to find it. All right. So I'm going to let someone else talk it, talk about it. And um, well, yeah. The, yeah, Herb, you start. The article was that uh, Bill Baird uh, said the police didn't ask for the Emergency Act, but uh, they did ask for tools to end the occupation. So it's kind of a uh, extinction without a difference, as far as I'm concerned. Basically, the um, the police were asking for some tools to help them uh, uh, end the occupation in Ottawa, and uh, the Emergencies uh, Act uh, basically was thought of by the the government as best able to do that. 
So the what it what it's basically enabled uh, uh, the uh, the government to do is to bring in all sorts of different uh, police forces and um, uh, have them work as a team as a unit uh, to clear out Ottawa. And uh, because technically they didn't have the jurisdiction to do so, the protesters were uh, sort of bringing. Uh, Running around in circles, or getting the uh, the police uh, in Ottawa all tied up because they would go from airports to um, to highways to uh, downtown city streets, and uh, each one of them had a different jurisdiction. I think the airports were covered by the RCMP, the cities, uh, the highways were were covered by the OPP, and the downtown streets were controlled by the uh, Ottawa police. So. Uh, the uh, the protesters who were pretty uh, organized and had a good idea of, of the, a good, good um, tactical um, uh, uh, plan basically were uh, tying the police up in in uh, jurisdictional uh, <laughs> procedures yes. yeah mm-hmm. and um, and that that helped uh, with the uh, total ineffectuality of the police force that's the first time i've uh, i've heard someone explain it that way and i think i think you're probably onto something but at the time the government was saying that they had been asked to provide and and so far they haven't been able to provide evidence that the like everybody's saying, no, we never asked for the Emergencies Act. Well, no one actually asked for the the, 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 the what they asked for was tools to help them solve this problem, and the the, the Emergencies Act was one was the tool they came up with. So, uh, you know, I, I you know, like I say, it's a distinction without a difference, basically, as far as I'm concerned. Um, the the they it was used it was effective and then it was abandoned so uh, to me it was uh, totally legitimate and uh, a, a proper response to uh, basically the Ottawa police force uh, failing in their job in the first place to make sure that the the uh, protesters didn't uh, occupy uh, key space downtown okay art yeah it's just just takes us right back to the last uh Topic. I just want to throw in a little comment here, um, the, the, saying that we lost our ranking in the peace uh, thing. One of the reasons they cited for that is the imposition of the Emergencies Act. How does that make us less peaceful? I don't know. Anyway, um, yeah, they they managed to clear the border, block borders without the Emergencies Act. Uh, I don't see that they really needed it for. Um, clearing out the, the protesters in Ottawa. It, uh, it seems to me that um, they could have done that w- without it, and from everything I've been able to read, uh, the criteria for the Emergencies Act were not there, not even close. There has to be a credible threat to the security of the government, and there was none. It was just a noisy demonstration that took up a lot of space and uh, created some noise. Uh, I, I still don't think it was uh, it, it was uh, required. I don't think it was uh, r- the right thing to do. All right, Eric, thoughts? Yeah, I, again, I think it was uh, overkill. I mean, we don't know. We don't have all the information. Uh, it seems that they did, in fact, <clears throat> or they they didn't actually ask for the emergency act to be invoked. They asked. It sounds like they asked for more manpower and a few things they could work with. But, I mean, I think they made, as an example, 
the comments were made, well, if you try to get the wrecking companies to tow the things away, they would refuse to do it. But apparently that yeah. wasn't the case. I no, was I'm reading just, up on that. And yeah, then, I'm yeah. just speculating, but I, yep. I never thought it was the case in the first place. I think it was an excuse that they used so they didn't have to do anything. They were probably a little concerned about towing somebody's truck away. There might be some adverse effects to that. And uh, But they should have done it nonetheless. And... Uh, give these uh, wrecking drivers the opportunity to say no and then maybe you know find another way of doing it mm-hmm. but uh, hire private contractors or whatever so i mean what do they we, didn't do that so what do we make of like if some of you one of you wants to jump in on this uh because we're all are all in studio and so we don't have to com- speak complete completely in turn um what do we make of the fact that this convoy took I think it was nearly a week to come into the city of Ottawa. Um, what do we make of the fact that no plans were made to make it? Because, I mean, golly, they, they knew, or they should have known, or they should have been able to figure out that this would be massive. Um, but, I mean, like, what went wrong on the ground? Why was it allowed to get so out of hand? I think the, the Ottawa Police Force is really the, the, the biggest problem. I mean, the, the same... Um, conditions uh, basically occurred right across Canada. These there was protests in every major city across Canada, just about. And really, Ottawa was the only one that had a problem. And the Ottawa Police Force had been um, uh, uh, had a new uh, uh, a new chief who uh, did not have the support of his officers. And um, I think that was a big portion of what uh, what happened here. That. Um, you know the the basic tactics were where you don't allow people to park downtown. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's well known. It was you know there was nothing new there. Ottawa was the only one that uh, let let all this happen, and um, it was it was a it was a major failure in policing. And uh, I think it uh, uh, as as Eric pointed out, uh, uh, Ottawa did not rise to the occasion. Uh, there was. Uh, a uh, private citizen that got an injunction against uh, people blowing their, their truck horns at uh, past ten o'clock at night, for yeah. instance. So, yeah, no, the you know Ottawa was just uh, totally uh, outmaneuvered and uh, outwitted <laughs> by uh, by a bunch of protesters that uh, took advantage of the disorganization that they found. Mm-hmm. And was the, I mean, what I don't quite remember, but back. Uh, during the G7, wasn't there some sort of bondoogle, security bondoogle during that time as well? So is this just something that, you know, Ottawa, you know, the place that we're apparently being led by, well, that they're any, just incompetent, any, or what's happening anytime there? Anytime there's a G7 meeting or anything like that, uh, you get all kinds of protesters, and they know they're coming, and they put up the, the fencing, and they have the police there and everything. For this one, I, I don't know, I, I was surprised that they let it get into Ottawa in the first place, yeah. and... Uh, I was surprised at the inaction, and I wondered maybe they just, for some reason, don't know what they should do here. <laughs> and the other thing I thought was, well, maybe amongst the police force, maybe amongst the higher-ups of the police force, as well as the rank and file, maybe there's some sympathy for the truckers. Maybe they believe in what the truckers are protesting, so well, and that might have something to do with it. And that's something that's rarely discussed in the public square, is like, yeah. so why, like, is that is that part of the narrative? Like, what, or not part of the narrative, but, but is that partly what happened? What do you think, Eric? Well, I don't really know now. It's, you know, the issue when it started was truckers coming across the border, and uh, they were able to do it for the first two or three months, no problem. 
And then the government turned around and said, now you're going to have to get vaccinated to come across. Uh, Those are some of the things they should look at and see how they arrived at that decision. Why was it good, say, on Monday, but it was no good on Wednesday type thing? I don't think a lot of thought went into it, but uh, they probably could have kept that going. And, you know, we've had riots and, and situations like that before where people were marching on Ottawa in years gone by in the dirty 30s and that. And they stopped them and pulled them off trains in Regina and put them into fenced yards. And uh, there was machine guns around and a few other things. That <laughs> I was were. just doing some research into Tommy Douglas and the yeah. whole and the Winnipeg general strike, which yeah. and it was like, yeah, no, we, we it hasn't always been perfectly. But at the, uh, when you get into that situation where, where it's actually a disruption, illegitimate, uh, you know, the, the police are required to take some action on it. Not to sort of run around in circles wondering what they should do. Mm-hmm. I remember years ago in Prince Rupert, they had a big riot going on there, and the mayor of Prince Rupert uh, declared the uh, riot act. You know, you read that riot act twice, and then you got 20 minutes to clear the streets. And if you don't, you get as much as 20 years in jail. Wow. And uh, before they cleared the streets, he turned the hoses on them. And help them get off the street. <laughs> but, <laughs> so th- th- things have changed. I'm not saying that that's the way they should do it, but certainly we need to know not just what the truckers were doing and not what the odd politician was doing. We know, we need to know how the whole situation was handled and why it was or mishandled the way it was because not very good. No, no, I don't think that was a shining moment for Canada. Uh, certainly not for law enforcement and, and uh, politicians. All right, uh, it's time for a break. So we'll come back after this. Give your morning a boost with some sounds from above with Songs and Chapel Sunday mornings at 9 on 93.1 CFISFM. Join me, Corey Walker, as I fill the airwaves with the sounds of heavenly gospel music. I feature a mixture of traditional country, bluegrass, southern, and black gospel, and even a little bit of worship and contemporary Christian music. An inspiring message from the Salvation Army's Heartbeat series is featured in every show. As Songs and Chapel Sunday morning at 9, only here on 93.1 CFISFM. Tops and Bottoms continues to provide the women of Prince George with great support. Make an appointment today and take advantage of their unsurpassed one-on-one fitting service. Tops and Bottoms will make sure that your bra is comfortable and fits you well. Need a new bra? No problem. Make an appointment online at topsandbottoms.ca or call 250-614-1553. Tops and Bottoms, great support for the women of Prince George. Are you or your team struggling to grow your sales? Hi, it's Norm Adams here from Pivot Leader in Prince George. Sales can be an easy, low-paying job, or it can be the most challenging, rewarding, and high-paying profession. Really, it's up to you. At Pivot Leader, we work with sales professionals who are committed to developing their skills. After only eight months of workshops and coaching, our students have increased sales by 40% or more. If you'd like some help getting your team to the next level, get in touch today. Email me, norm, at pivotleader.com or visit our website, pivotleader.com. Forecast from Environment Canada for today, mainly cloudy. A 30% chance of showers this morning. Wind for the south of 20K, a high of 21. Tonight, mainly cloudy. North winds becoming light late this evening, a low of 8. On Saturday, mainly cloudy, the 60% chance of showers. The risk of a thunderstorm in the afternoon with wind for the northwest at 20 and a high of 19. Thank you for tuning in and staying tuned to After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. 
All right, Trudy uh, Claussen, guest hosting here for Andreas Krebs today. Um, and I have the political panel with Eric Allen, Art Betke, and Herb Martin. So next up, we're going to talk about the Cullen Report. Uh, this was the investigation uh, by Justice Cullen into the money laundering uh, at casinos in B.C. And um, just maybe if you want to start, Art, what do you think of uh, that whole thing and how it's gone come to this? Yeah, it, it, it seems there was a lot of money laundering going on, and I really don't know how they do it. Somehow they put money in and take it out, and that kind of hides the path or something of the proceeds of crime. Uh, but uh, and it seems that the certain government people knew it was happening and didn't take enough actions, uh, and uh, now they're saying it's... Yeah, it it needs to be uh, policed better, and uh, they're also saying there was no corruption involved that they could see, and um, the whole idea now is the NDP are going to try and hang this on the Liberal government for the next election, and and will it wash? Well, I don't think Mike DeYoung has any uh, attachment to it or connection to it, so I think he's okay, but they'll still try and, and hang it on them anyway. Uh, but the election's a long ways away yet, so uh, I think uh, public memory will fade from for that. I don't think it's going to be a big issue. Mm-hmm. I mean, I asked Mike Morris about it yesterday, and uh, and he said part of the issue for them because um, I'm not sure. I don't think like he wasn't asked to sub, uh, submit or to uh, provide any testimony to the commission or whatever it's called. Um, but he said part of the problem was that just like FinTrack and I think it's the RCMP that does some stuff as well, like just lack of funding and there was just no money to to look into it and, and to fight it. I don't, yeah, I, to me it wasn't a big issue. Uh, the, the, the criminal elements are laundering money through the casinos, but they're not really stealing money from us. They're, they're not uh, stealing money from the government or anything like that, so it's kind of a side issue that doesn't affect me you know I, I'm not uh, too concerned about it okay Herb what do you, what do you think yeah you well, I don't think it was uh, any big secret I, you know there was lots of videos going around and lots of stories about people coming in with uh, grocery bags full of $20 bills and um uh, you know, just uh, I mean, it was it was a pretty simple procedure. You bring in uh, usually uh, ill-gotten gains uh, from the drug trade, uh, always in small denominations or usually in small denominations, and then you uh, basically you, you you run it through the the casino, and uh, you're if you if you play blackjack, you're gonna you win forty or fifty percent of the time. So. Uh, you know, you're, you're guaranteed a, a, a half your half your money back in clean money. So this is this is how it was laundered, and uh, and I think it it was a big deal, and uh, because it, one one tool that the police have at their disposal is uh, the seizure of uh, assets that um, uh, are are known to have been purchased with uh, ill-gotten gains. So. Uh, if the guy can come out and say, well, I'm just really lucky at the casino, um, then uh, that avenue is taken away from police. And it, it uh, totally uh, uh, basically distorts our society. And uh, you basically are rewarding people for bad behavior. And as soon as you start doing that, uh, the society as a whole suffers and uh, is on a downward path. So... Uh, this that this went on for so long under three different liberal ministers, uh, 
uh, yeah, the Liberals are going to wear this. And uh, Mike, De- Mike DeYoung, actually, I, I was interviewed on this matter yesterday, and he said, uh, yeah, he should have done a better job. And uh, But, um, you know, that it had been going on for a long time before he got there. Uh, Vince Coleman, I don't think, has impressed anyone overly much by his... Uh, his uh, his conduct. Uh, he's he's been in a number of different court cases now, and uh, thankfully for the Liberals, he's uh, he's out of the political system. But uh, that he was in for so long and uh, occupied such a high position does not reflect well on that uh, on the previous Liberal governments, mm. and it doesn't reflect well on our society at large, quite frankly. So um, yeah, let's let's hopefully um, use this as a learning. Um, uh, uh, exercise and uh, let's not let this happen again. Okay, so Herb, I want to come back to what you said about the broader effect on society, but we'll have uh, Eric. You can weigh in first on on what do you think of uh, of uh, Justice Coleman's report and or Cullen, Justice Cullen. Uh, what do you think of his report and the fact that he found that there was no evidence uh, that any of the failures were motivated by corruption? What do you think? Well, I don't know. Uh, I didn't read his report, but it seems like, uh, <clears throat> you know, there was people who knew what was going on. Whether they had a responsibility to do something about it and didn't, that's the question. Uh, this money laundering, as I understand it, is you go into the casino and you get a million or two million dollars in $20 bills, and you buy a bunch of chips and you go and gamble, and it doesn't matter if you lose 50000 100000 then you go back and uh, you cash them in and then they give you a check or uh, pay out cash depending and that's sort of where the money trail begins afresh so so you get that check and now now you walk out with clean money that shows it came from the uh, casino Hmm. now somebody along the way there said at one point I can't remember who it was but basically said that when these people come in uh, with half a million dollar million dollars in twenty dollar bills when they cash out you pay them back in twenty dollar bills mm-hmm. but uh, I guess that they never followed through on that mm. you see that doesn't clean the money if you're walking out with a bunch of twenty dollar bills no. because you still don't prove where it came from if you're paid in cash so maybe that didn't work but anyway you know it's a sad day you know, it doesn't matter which one of these subjects we get on. What we're finding is that our governments didn't handle the situation very well. <laughs> this is the second time we're talking about our governments not handling situations yeah. very well. Yeah. Um, so that's, you know, that's where we're at. And that's what we, we need to be looking at. Uh, you know, I, even if we want to go back far enough, most people don't. But to get into gambling and not just to generate money for yeah, that's you know, a whole spurious ideas is, you know, they should have never gone down that road. But too late now. Oh, yeah. Well, well there's, there's one thing to keep in mind, though. Um, when government ministers, they don't manage the lotteries. No. You know, they don't manage the casinos. Um, they have people doing that. The lottery corporation manages uh, casinos. And uh, when government ministers were uh, uh, told that the casinos were likely accepting substantial quantities of illicit cash, uh, they talked to the uh, lottery uh, Corp- corporation 
And uh, they were told, oh, we'll handle it, you know, with the existing uh, laws and rules that we have. Uh, don't worry about it. So <laughs> how much can you blame the politicians? You know, the people who were looking after that said everything was fine or they could handle it. So. Well, I guess the buck stops somewhere. But it, it is time for a break, so we'll come back. And, I mean, this topic is segueing nicely into the next one, so we'll be back after this break. The Prince George Council of Seniors is looking for volunteers. Help out with their Meals on Wheels program, delivering hot meals. As a social line volunteer, making friendly phone calls to shut-ins, or by covering a three- or four-hour shift at the Seniors Resource Centre front desk. For more information, email info.pgcos at gmail.com or drop by the Seniors Resource Centre at 721 Victoria Street. More information on the Council of Seniors is also available on their website, pgcos.ca. The Alzheimer's Society of BC is continuing their series of online webinars. Everyone is encouraged to learn more about dementia and its stark impact on Canadians through their website, alzbc.org. While there, you can also register for their free webinars or watch previous presentations. The next webinar is on long-distance caregiving next Wednesday from 2 to 3. The Alzheimer's Society of BC, bringing you support and information for dementia at alzbc.org. Supply chain issues and labor shortages have delayed the grand reopening of the Exploration Place Museum and Science Centre. The Exploration Place has been closed for the past 26 months due to COVID-19. The subsequent renovation was to be completed with a grand reopening on June 18th. Now the yet-to-be-determined date will be this fall. Meanwhile, the Little Prince steam engine will kick off another season on June 18th for another season of rides at Clayton Lake Memorial Park near the Exploration Place. Whether you are looking to make some cash or get a great deal on materials, Studio 2880's Creative Resale is for you. The Artist Studio Garage Sale will be full of new-to-you arts and craft supplies, early artwork, pottery seconds, old artisan stock, and studio craftsperson tools and equipment. Get inspired by your finds, give it a fresh creative life, reorganize your space, and get making. The Creative Resale, Saturday, June 25th from 9 to 3 in front of Studio 2880. Vendor spots are still available. This is After 9 on Prince George's Community Station, 93.1 CFIS-FM. All right, Trudy Claussen here with the political panel. Uh, we've sort of been talking about how this massive failure in, um, I guess, in the people who are we charge and, and give the authority to keep the peace. Uh, we saw the massive failure in, in Ottawa and how they managed the trucker protest and uh, or the, I guess, it, I mean, it evolved into a mandate protest. And then, again, with the money laundering in the casinos and people saying, well, hey, there were all the tools, but you didn't use them, all of that kind of stuff. And then we have um, another report of uh, out of, um, I think it's Ontario, where the Ontario police admitted that they, had in, uh, they were arresting and, and um, uh, minority populations out of proportion to the percentage of the population and just that whole issue. Um, Art, do you want to start us on that topic? And, and how does this, like, I mean, I, I mean, to me, I think we've, <laughs> we've, we've got a bit of an issue with our police force either being too powerful, not powerful enough, or not doing the right things. Like, what's going on? Uh, it's political correctness rearing its ugly head again. Um, in, in the article, one of the... Uh, people who were speaking of this uh, part of the black community said the solution to this was to defund the police. Oh, right. This was in Toronto. Yes, this yes. was in Toronto. And, the, and she wants to defund the police. Now, that is the most ridiculous thing. 
you defund the police and then you wonder why crime skyrockets. This has been done in, in places in the United States, like uh, the city of New York. Uh, uh, they're kind of loony left-wing councillors, I guess, and a mayor, and uh, they did actually defund their police to the tune of a billion dollars. And a few months later, they were complaining that crime was skyrocketing. Where are the police? Well, gee, you defunded them. What do you expect? And it's not just there. It's all over the place in the States where uh, judges are refusing to uh, actually prosecute criminals and police are starting to just not even bother arresting some of them because they know that uh, they're just going to be let go. Um, and I think it's California or San Francisco or somewhere uh, they declared that uh, no crime or theft under $950 will be prosecuted, which makes it okay to steal. Uh, and uh, we want to have this for Toronto. And just because minorities are more attacked by the police. But it depends because... Um, they say the blacks are disproportionately targeted by police, but then white people are also, in the same report, white people are also disproportionately arrested compared to other visible minority groups other than blacks, like the Asians or Aboriginal or what is called brown people. So you don't arrest people according to their proportion of the population. You arrest them <laughs> according to the crimes they commit. And it's politically incorrect to say so but if they didn't want to be arrested so much well i would should. prefer that they not have quotas yeah i mean because if i'm you know i'm a white woman walking around and they look at their quota and they go oh we need to arrest one more white woman here's one like yeah i'd yeah, rather not well my point is they're committing more crimes that's why they get arrested more i know it's politically incorrect to say that and you can get canceled for saying it but that's the fact all right. Okay. Art's putting himself up here. However, I wanted I want Herb to weigh in because you were talking about the the failure to um, to restrict the money laundering in the in the uh, casinos, and then because I thought that what you said there segued nicely into this about we we depend on our law enforcement agencies to keep these things under control. Yeah, how I mean, we, like within these calls to defund the police, like where do we go with that? I mean, this is you know it's schizophrenic a little bit. Well, we, you know, first of all, we can't just rely on on police. I mean, there was there's a, a lot of people who knew what was happening in the, in the casinos. In fact, Kevin Falcon was uh, was the finance minister at that time, and he approved um, bonuses for the uh, uh, British Company Lot Lottery Commission. Uh, 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 bureaucrats. So, uh, you know, obviously he thought they were doing a terrific job. Um, you know, so, and, and it doesn't stop only with him. It stops, I mean, it, it basically goes throughout society. There was a lot of people in the, in the casinos. They saw people walking in with bags full of money. They must know what was going on. Uh, there's a lot of people that, um, as a society, were uh, far too, it's, it's far too easy for us to just look away and pretend things aren't going on. Um, if you look at the, um, uh, uh, fentanyl drug deaths in um, in BC. Mm. I mean, you know, Portugal uh, became alarmed and instituted a total revamping of their system 20 years ago, when the drug deaths there reached uh, 30 uh, per million. So at the moment in BC, it's 450 per million. 
Whoa. And uh, you know we're we're doing a very uh, taking baby steps, introducing part of what Portugal introduced uh, over 20 years ago. So is defunding the police? So so this is you know again um, defunding is uh, it's a pretty broad brush. Uh, uh, means different things to different people. I think um, Mike Morris has even agreed that uh, detasking would be a better word. So the police don't really mm-hmm. want to get involved when there's mentally ill people. Yeah, and they're not equipped. And they're not equipped and they're not trained for it. And they they would actually prefer that uh, there would be some other uh, 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 office of the law or something that, would, that could, could take over in those, those cases. So... Um, uh, you know, the, the defunding is, uh, it makes for big headlines, but I think there's relatively few people that just say, take money away from the cops and don't do anything else. Most people are saying, you know, let's, let's reallocate resources and let's try and deal with some of these problems that are problematic. You know, when, when the police, uh, at the, at the Vancouver airport tasered that uh, Polish immigrant to death, mm-hmm. um, uh, you know, again, that was, they, they was, it was, was basically, it was a horrible, horrible situation, and yeah. uh, and I think um, there's been uh, steps taken since then that make sure that that would never happen again. Um, and every every time a mentally ill person gets shot by police, um, yeah, I mean there, we we should be finding a better way. And um, let's let's not just pretend that uh, giving police more money is the answer. It's not. And uh, and uh, as far as I know, Mike Morris doesn't think that either. No. Eric, what do you think? Well, you know, defunding is just a, a word I guess they like to use rather than say cut the budget. <laughs> you know, I mean, because basically that's what they're talking about. Yes. Reduce the budget, and then the police department and the municipalities have to decide where the money that's left is going to be spent. And of course, I'm just looking at this one here. The uh, Toronto Police Association, which is a police union, they've got a few things to say about that. It's not like you can just tell these people what to do. They have rights, they have unions, and that type of thing. <clears throat> they have signed contracts. We don't know what they are. We don't have all the information. Um, you know, if you're... Uh, I don't think there's any doubt that there is this systemic racism taking place, and it's almost... In some case almost natural if you consider the history of Canada and that that you're still going to have some of that in society and it's going to take a while to get around it and it doesn't mean we shouldn't be looking at it and finding out what's going on and why it's happening we know we have a high proportion of uh, First Nations people in the jails compared to uh, to their population yeah yeah. and uh, whether it's the court system or whether it's they don't have the money to hire a good lawyer and defend themselves or what the circumstances are, we don't know because people don't talk about it. Like they'll say that the RCMP will put forward two or three hundred charges to the uh, provincial prosecutor and he'll give them, throw five, 50% of them out because he says he can't get a conviction. Like I can't even answer that question. Uh, so he <laughs> has this arbitrary uh, authority to uh, just throw it out and say I can't get a conviction. You know, uh, maybe he should go to court on all of them and get more convictions or get more thrown out legally rather than... And then after they're thrown out, then they try the other ones, but then 
they let them go too, so that the end is not too many left. Oh uh, well, it sounds like we're in a little bit of a mess. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and probably need significantly better uh, leadership on a lot of these issues. It is time for another break, and we'll be back uh, talking with the political panel today. Looking for a fun pottery course? Check out Leanna Carlson's selection of workshops available this summer, everything from creating your own gnome to working on the pottery wheel, led by one of the top local potters who's been working in clay for more than 30 years. Registration and full details of classes, cost, and availability are available through the classes link at carlsonpottery.com. Pottery Workshops with Leanna Carlson, available through July 5th at carlsonpottery.com. The Regional District of Fraser Ford George is planting the seeds to build its first regional agriculture strategy. The strategy will focus on supporting agriculture and farming in the region and identify action-oriented goals, practical solutions, and actions to address existing and potential issues and opportunities. Further information about the project can be found at rdffg.bc.ca. The development of the plan is funded in part by Agriculture and Agri-Food Canada and the Government of BC through programs delivered by Investment Agriculture Foundation of BC. Learn the key to engaging the right fit for your board with Vantage Point's Board Fundamentals, Succession and Recruitment, July 21st. In this three-hour evening workshop, you'll move beyond recruiting the average applicant by creating a strategic framework to identify, recruit, and develop the talents of board members. Registration cost and full details are available through the calendar link under training at thevantagepoint.ca. Board Fundamentals, Succession and Recruitment, July 21st from 5.30 to 8.30 through thevantagepoint.ca. Forecast from Environment Canada for today, mainly cloudy, a 30% chance of showers this morning, wind for the south of 20K, a high of 21. Tonight, mainly cloudy, north winds becoming light late this evening, a low of 8. On Saturday, mainly cloudy, the 60% chance of showers, the risk of a thunderstorm in the afternoon with wind for the northwest at 20 and a high of 19. You're listening to After 9 on Prince George's Community Station, 93.1 CFIS-FM. All right, we're back with uh, the political panel here. Uh, so now we're going to talk about how the government spending more money is going to make all of us uh, easier able to manage inflation. How does that work, Eric? Is that a feasible plan? Well, <clears throat> I'm just looking at the article there. It says... Your plan to address inflation uh, and the affordability crisis has five parts. Respecting the role of the Bank of Canada, which I think is a given. Uh, Investing in workers. Well, who knows how you do that. Managing the debt. Well, through their own admission, they haven't done that very well. (laughs) Creating good jobs and funding the suite of programs that make up the affordability plan. So, again, we have the government going to create a bunch of jobs. And uh, they're also going to build more houses well I've never seen these guys on a, on a site building any houses so I'm not sure how they're going to do that but again we have you know that speech was 45 minutes or something and uh, 40 minutes at the Empire Club with the, so it's a, we have to look at you know when the government gives money on all these different programs, probably 10 different programs where you can access money on a regular basis from government, old age pension, Canada pension, child mm-hmm. tax benefits, yada, yada, yada. So, And there's something happening in this country. Like We have a, a huge number of senior citizens, and a lot of them have basically bought everything that they're going to buy. Mm-hmm. They're not buying a house anymore. And they're these not are cars. part of the boomer generation, yeah. right? And so they don't spend a lot of money. 
and I see them down at the mall quite often. And if they buy a cup of coffee, that's a big expenditure. Okay? And then the necessities around the house. But the people, the younger people, who have one or two kids, and they're both trying to work, and they don't have child care, they're getting this child tax benefit. I think it's if you're under five, it's six thousand dollars a year. I think, and if you're over five, it's five thousand a year. So they big, fairly, I think, significant amount of money. And I think the reason they do that is because those people are going to go out and spend the money. So if you gave me $6,000 or something or $2,000 a month or something, and I've even talked to guys, they just throw it in the bank. <laughs> Where it does they don't not spend a whole it. lot. But if, yeah. they, if they kite it around through the taxpayer, give it to the government, the government gives it to the low income, the low income goes out and spends it. So I think the higher income people that are either retired or well off are basically funding through the government, lower income people who spend the money, which drives the economy, which creates some jobs. Okay, but what about yeah. inflation? Is that actually going to help with inflation? Well, I don't think it's going to help with inflation because, but it's going to keep those people from going under because they've got money coming in that they wouldn't have otherwise. But uh, no, inflation's totally out of control. I mean, it has been for 10 years. I don't think all the factors that they put into inflation, we don't even hear about them. The government's responsible for it with their gas taxes and their carbon taxes. You know, uh, uh, a lot that maybe cost you $100,000 five years ago is $150,000, mm-hmm. and nothing's changed. You see, what we don't get from the people, from the government or anybody, is an itemized document of how those prices went up to where they are and I will tell you that 40% of them to 50% of them are nothing more than greed the opportunity is there to make big money and they put the price up and it, it, there's no documentation there's nobody says well why did you do that it, you show me where it, where it applies they don't show you anything hmm. so um, Herb what do you think um, is this what do you think is eight not 8.9 billion dollars of very likely our grandchildren's money going to help us get out of this spot of inflation that we're in? I think uh, a lot of governments around the world have the same problem. I think uh, uh, inflation's uh, pretty much hit across the globe. And I think the what the government's doing is, is trying to buy time because, um, uh, like uh, Eric said, uh, it's hitting the... Um, low-income and fixed-income people especially hard. So uh, they're, I think the government's counting on the, 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 all the uh, uh, analysts' uh, uh, predictions that the price of gas is, coming, is going to come down, that, uh, that uh, for instance, the uh, cost of lumber is starting to come down, um, that uh, the you know, high, higher interest rates will, in fact, work as it has done before and, and uh, basically cooling off the economy and reducing inflation. And that it will work, but it, it will take time. So, uh, yeah, basically the, the government's buying time now, and um, I, I'm, it's probably a pretty good bet that um, uh, higher interest rates will cool, to, cool the economy off and decrease inflation. And... Um, uh, We'll see what happens. I guess they figure they've got another two or three years before the next election, and um, this is the uh, this is the way forward that they can see. Hmm. All right, Art, what do you think? 
Well, we have the government, which is uh, largely responsible for the inflation that uh, struck us with uh, all that 300 billion plus of printed money they injected into the economy. When you stick more money in there, uh, inflation will result. Uh, They're not totally responsible for it, but they do have some responsibility. Uh, So right now they're getting told and people are putting pressure on them for the government to do something. Always government must do something. Government must help me. Well, they need to appear to be doing something. So that's what they're doing. And uh, what they like to do, what they have a history of doing, the only thing they really know how to do is spend money. So they figured out this suite of programs to make up the Affordability Act. So they're saying more spending will somehow solve the inflation (laughs) uh, that they were partly responsible for by spending too much. And uh, then she calls people who criticize this economically illiterate. So... Uh, I think she's the one who has that problem, but uh, it's it's like um, they they don't actually know what to do, other than uh, the things that Herb mentioned. But they have to look like they're doing something. I mean, they don't create good jobs. The government doesn't create jobs at all, except for when they hire people for their bloated payroll. That's what the private sector does. And the best thing the government can do to create jobs is get out of the way. Uh, fuel taxes, they have, they're, they're stuck on this ideological idea that they have to save the planet by pricing fuel out of affordability. And, you know, they're quite happy to see the fuel prices rise because that's what they planned on doing all the time. That's what they said they were going to do. It's just happening a little faster than they had planned. But, but you that, don't see anybody taking credit for that. Oh, no, they don't. They, they pretend to care. But you don't see them cutting the taxes either. They could do that. But this is, this is where, what they... It's all for show. And they hope the economy will straighten itself out. And like Herb said, there is, it will in time. But this is going to cost us uh, and our grandchildren a lot more money while they pretend to solve the problem. Okay, all right. It's time for a break, and we'll be back with uh, to round up our Friday political panel. Season 3 of the Look Again Mental Illness Reexamined podcast doesn't start until the fall, but there is a new episode available next month. This standalone edition features Phaedra Aldridge speaking with Adria Roberts, a peer support worker and person with lived experience. You can also access its previous shows through the Look Again Mental Illness Reexamined podcast link under education at bcss.org. And be sure to follow Look Again through your favorite podcast listening app. The City of Prince George is offering a new grant for -for not-for-profit agencies to hire people who have lived in or are living in poverty. The new Peers Employment and Encouraging Resiliency Grant is a short-term project funded by the Union of BC Municipalities. The City is seeking applications from not-for-profit organizations that create barrier-free, safe, and inclusive employment. Full details are available through the Grants and Financial Assistance page under City Services at PrinceGeorge.ca. The City will be accepting applications until October 1st. 
Coast. VantagePoint is transforming not-for-profit leadership with a host of downloadable resources. VantagePoint's team of knowledge philanthropists have written a book for leaders of not-for-profit organizations as a conversation starter. Titled A People's Lens, this resource challenges how we think about engagement within our organizations and provides stories of innovative people engagement, best practice tips, and perspectives from senior leaders. A People's Lens is available free through the downloadable resources page under media at thevantagepoint.ca. The Fraser Basin Council's youth program is giving young people in B.C. an opportunity to collaborate toward climate action in their own communities. Co-creating a sustainable B.C. brings together youth ages 16 to 30 with the goal of taking climate action at the community and regional level. Although there are limited spots available, it is an all-expenses-paid and inclusive initiative that strives to make participation as accessible as possible. The application link and more details are available at fbcyouthprogram.com. Keeping you up to date on current news and events in and around Prince George. This is After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. All right, we're back with the political panel, rounding up with what to do this Father's Day weekend. Um, I guess I'm saying Father's Day weekend, but it is really technically only Sunday. Um, uh, Just, okay, you guys are all men, or you're all fathers? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, you are, okay. Um, I mean, I remember... I would always try to do things that I liked on Father's Day, and it's like, wait a minute, no, 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 this is about my husband. So my husband's idea of uh, what to do on a nice Father's Day is, is different than mine. So it's it takes a bit of time for took me a bit of time to figure that out. Uh, but anyway, the Prince George Post had a had an article about. Uh, uh, we have in Prince George, particularly, we have options from a live concert to enjoying a beer with your old man, while reveling in the city's history. Uh, Art, let's start with you. What's what's your idea of a good Father's Day? Oh, just be left alone. <laughs> uh, well, you know, I used to enjoy going down to the show and shine, mm-hmm. but you know, my kids have all moved away. They were all boys, so mm-hmm. you know, uh, but. For car guys, that's great. It's it's quite a show, a big show. And, and that's uh, happening at Tenay Park this weekend? Uh, I believe so. It's on where it's Sunday? been the last few years. Yeah, so. it'll be on Sunday, actually. Yeah. And, and it's going to be the, the, the first one where it's really uh, back up to what it was before COVID. Yeah. <clears throat> so yeah. It, it should be a really good one. Okay. And that what time <clears throat> is that? Does somebody know what time that starts? It's from 10 till 4 or something 10 till like 4? And are there, like, is there food and stuff to do? No. Uh, usually they have, they, they, there'll be some um, uh, vendor trucks around selling uh, hot dogs and whatever, but... Uh, At least a few? Oh, yeah, quite a few, actually. that would actually. seem to be not a party if there wasn't food. Yeah, yeah. They, they, they say that they uh, expect more than 400 vehicles this weekend, and they think that uh, it should be a good one because there's uh, people have been stuck up in their, you know, in their house uh, with nothing to do for two years, so they've... Uh, They've renovated their or uh, reconditioned their vehicles, so it should oh. be a should be a special one. They think. Oh, yeah. oh, that sounds fun. Yeah, and it's not just local vehicles; they come from all over. I oh, know. yeah, Fort St. John from the Okanagan. Yeah, yes, oh. whoever can manage our uh, our um, frost heaves, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, they, they usually get about a crowd of ten thousand people. They say coming oh. out. Oh, and like you said, this year because people have been holed up in their houses and homes and yards uh these some yeah. of these vehicles should be looking pretty spiffy yeah oh okay well eric how about you what do you like to do on father's day uh generally not much but uh, <laughs> <laughs> sit in the backyard with a cup of coffee and let the sunshine on me um, all right we'll order that we'll we'll try really hard but yeah no the, i like to go to the show and shine once in a while and 
it's uh, but I see this old age security they're going to give us ten uh, percent increase. I work out to about sixty four dollars a month, so. I'm just going to speculate what I'm going to do with that money. Okay. So you're going to sit there in your chair with your coffee in the yeah. sun thinking what to do with that extra 64? Yep. Okay. <laughs> so, so Herb, uh, obviously, I mean, you enjoy the uh, show and shine. Um, is that what you always do? or uh, Quite often, actually, yeah. There's, uh, there's a lot of really interesting vehicles down there. And, you know, the people who bring them are, are really interested in talking to people and telling, you know, what, what makes their vehicle special. And there's a story behind each vehicle and, um, uh, and the, uh, the, the reconditioning or uh, renovating that they, they've done on them. So it's, um, uh, yeah, no, there's, 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 there's lots of really interesting stories down there mm-hmm. and, uh, and some, some amazing machines. Gosh, so... I'm just thinking, you know, post-COVID here, like you're actually allowed to stand and talk to a stranger. That <laughs> so just be prepared to yeah. stretch your, um, you know, your your social muscles. Uh, one one other thing that I'm seeing is that the the Railway and Forestry Museum uh, is going to have a steak and craft beer event from 5 p.m. to 10 p.m. and you can sign up online apparently. Uh, have any, this? This is the first year they've done that, right? I think so. I've never heard of it before. Yeah, so no. that sounds like a fun. I mean, steak. You know, they could get me with steak. Yeah, well, guys and steak and barbecue and yeah, yeah and yeah. beer. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, if it's the first year, yeah, I don't know that it'll be all that well attended. It seems anytime you hold these kind of events for the first time, it's rather lightly attended because people aren't familiar with it or they haven't heard about it. But as Years go by, they get better and better attended. So, mm-hmm. you know, get down in there. Be one of the first. That's right. And then there's wine painting night at Kate's. What are they doing? Painting? Oh, oh, they're they're painting with acrylic colors and sipping wine. Well, that sounds like... Well, that sounds like fun. Yeah. That sounds yeah. like fun. Steve over there is saying that sounds like fun. <laughs> Wear your old T-shirt. All right. Mm-hmm. Yes. If you're sipping, if you're painting and, and um, sipping wine, that's, and make that's, sure you have a ride home. A ride home, exactly. Yeah. Uh, and then the winery has something going on uh, Sunday at three p.m. Uh, for free tours. That is always a lot of fun. Um, again, and you get to sample. Again, you get to sample. All right. Uh, anyone else have something that you saw that looked sort of like something fun to try? That's quite a bit for Prince George. Come on. It is. It is. And I think there's one thing in this list. Um, oh, and there's um, hip-hop fans are in for a treat this weekend as the BC-based rapper Snap the Ripper is coming to town to spit a few bars. Gosh, what does that mean? <laughs> I'm, I, maybe I'm showing my age. Uh, it means but, I won't be there. <laughs> the concert's going to be held at Amanika Arts Centre on June 17th at 9 p.m. Um, that's today. You can sign up for the event on their website. That's the Omni Arts Center. Yeah, today's June 17th. Well, that sounds like fun. Um, okay, well, thank you guys uh, for for today, and uh, happy Father's Day to all the dads, and just know that you are all very important. Thank you. After 9 is a daily presentation of CFIS-FM. After 9 is produced by Alan Wishart, Echo Wiley, Trudy Clausen, and Rez Krebs. Executive producer is Reg Fair with technical assistance from Stephen Smith. Additional contributors include CBC News and the National Campus and Community Radio Association.